Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kate Norris. And I'm Thomas Craft. Whether you're pitching your business, speaking at a work meeting, or on the stage, we're here to help you present with clarity and confidence. Let's kick off episode 31 of the Presentation Boss Podcast. Today, it's another speech breakdown. Yeah, so what we know is that one of the best ways to become a better speaker is to watch other speakers and have a look at what they do really well, maybe what sort of things we want to avoid ourselves. So in our speech breakdowns, we watch a speech and we make comment throughout about what we believe they've done really well and maybe about what we can learn from this speaker. So today we're watching a talk from TEDx Vancouver in 2015. It's by Lara Boyd and the speech title is After Watching This, Your Brain Will Not Be the Same. It's a bit of a clickbaity title, not something that I would personally click on, but let's see how it goes. Yeah, it's not exactly the usual TED style where the key message is reflected in the title. I'm not sure what that message is. Yeah, so neither of us have watched this before, so we can all learn together. (laughs) (laughs) All right, go. So how do we learn? And why do some of us learn things more easily than others? So as I was mentioned, I'm Dr. Laura Boyd. I'm a brain researcher here at the University of British Columbia. These are the questions that fascinate me. So brain research is one of the great frontiers in the understanding of human physiology. All right, let's talk about the opening. There's a bit going on here, isn't there? Mm. Straight up. What I disliked is she opened with the word so, which to me indicates maybe a little bit of lack of confidence. There's no just statement of how do we learn, which I think would be a really great opening. Yeah, interesting, because I really dislike that question to open. Why is that, do you think? I think, I want to say, I think it feels a bit like contrived. It feels very TED-like that. How do we learn? Ask a big question. And when you open with a question, which is a legitimate strategy, Mm. normally you want to ask a question that gets people thinking, that gets people thinking about themselves or something that they can relate to. To me, this question feels like, so how do we learn with, you know, a 14 minute follow up of, I'm going to tell you how much I know about this topic. It doesn't feel like it's an audience focused question. See, I love it because her name is Dr. Lara Boyd. Mm. So to me, that clearly indicates that she knows a lot more about this topic and I want to learn from her. So to me, that really works. And her follow-up question of, and why do some people learn easier than others? Because I'm not necessarily someone that feels like I'm in that like peak category of easy learning necessarily. (laughs) Maybe there's going to be an answer of how I could maybe move towards that. So this really worked for me, that opening. Hmm. And I think the other thing we see here is the advantage of speaking to uh, a familiar audience, shall Your I hometown. say? Your hometown. Yeah, hometown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she mentioned that she was from BC. <laughs> which and is then... where she is, and people love that. She just gets a little cheer, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> so brain research is one of the great frontiers in the understanding of human physiology and also in the consideration of what makes us who we are. It's an amazing time to be a brain researcher, and um, I would argue to you that I have the most interesting job in the world. There was a lot of big words there. I feel like she could have really simplified that. I could follow it, but only just. I really had to think about what she was saying. I think that combined with my issues with that opening question, that maybe there's a slight mismatch with the audience focus here about speaking Mm. to the level of the audience. I mean, I don't exactly know who's in this audience, of course. Hmm. A lot of people say they have the most interesting job in the world. 
I love that. Yeah. Like I love when people love their jobs. <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You hear it a bit and it's, I mean, obviously what people do and love they think is the most interesting thing ever. So, mm. yeah, nice little bit of passion. It's not exactly a unique Same. statement though. Yeah. It's not, but it also really fits our rhetoric that speak about what you're passionate about. Mm, yeah. Like this sets her up really well, I think. I have the most interesting job in the world. What we know about the brain is changing at a breathtaking pace. And much of what we thought we knew and understood about the brain turns out to be not true or incomplete. Now, some of these misconceptions are more obvious than others. For example, we used to think that after childhood, the brain did not, really could not change. And it turns out that nothing could be farther from the truth. Another misconception about the brain is that you only use parts of it at any given time and silent when you do nothing. Well, this is also untrue. It turns out that even when you're at rest and thinking of nothing, your brain is highly active. So it's been advances in technology, such as MRI, has allowed us to make these and many other important discoveries. All right, there's a big opportunity here that I think was missed. She mentioned the misconceptions. We used to think this. Actually, this is the fact. I think the big opportunity here was to embed that within a story. When you just list things, this is what we used to think, this is what we now think, this is what we used to think, this is what we now think. It's just kind of a bit of a list. It's not particularly uh, memorable. And I think if you embed that in a story, even if it's just, when I started my study or we started this research, we believed this by using the MRI machines and what have you, we now realize that's actually incorrect. So I think making it relatable from her perspective would make that land so much nicer with the audience. I was about to poo-poo that idea when you started talking about it because I was like, oh, come on, like she's just doing her introduction. But I really like how simply you can make that into a story of just, mm, yeah, just of bringing it into her perspective. Yeah, just take it away yeah, from straight up list and just add that little bit of personal mm. touch to it. I was just waiting for you to finish so I could tell you you didn't know what you were talking about. But there you go. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind of you. <laughs> Important discoveries. And perhaps the most exciting, the most interesting and transformative of these discoveries is that every time you learn a new fact or skill, you change your brain. It's something we call neuroplasticity. So as little as 25 years ago, we thought that after about puberty, the only changes that took place in the brain were negative. The loss of brain cells with aging, the results of damage, like a stroke. And then studies began to show remarkable amounts of reorganization in the adult brain. And the assuming research has shown us that all of our behaviors change our brain, that these changes are not limited by age. It's good news, right? And in fact, they're taking place all the time. And very importantly, brain reorganization helps to support recovery after you damage your brain. The key to each of these changes is neuroplasticity. So what does it look like? So your brain can change in three very basic ways to support learning. And the first is chemical. So your brain actually functions by transferring chemical signals between brain cells, what we call neurons, and these trigger a series of actions and reactions. So to support learning, your brain can increase the amount or the concentrations of these chemical signaling that's taking place between neurons. Now, because this kind of change can happen very rapidly, this supports short-term memory or the short-term improvement in the performance of a motor skill. The second way that the brain can change to support learning is by altering its structure. 
So during learning, the brain can change the connections between neurons. Now here, the physical structure of the brain is actually changing, so this takes a bit more time. These types of changes are related to long-term memory, the long-term improvement in a motor skill. Now, these processes, they interact, and let me give you an example of how. Okay, she's given two different examples, and I just feel like I am just flooded with information here. Yeah. It is just fact after fact after fact, and there's nothing, there's no visuals to help me understand, and she is going way too fast for me to keep up. As, you know, someone who doesn't know a whole lot about the brain, obviously, it's, it's too much for me. Yeah, I'm thinking about how to fix that. First of all, she said there's three ways the brain can change to facilitate learning. Either we've paused too early and the third one's still coming. I think so, yeah. But it sounded like we'd sort of come to the end of that section just here. So It's interesting she got to number two. And again, it, I reckon it's still coming. But we've um, got to the end of number two and she said, oh, let me give you an example. Well, I would have liked an example for number one maybe. Oh, there's a lot going yeah. on. You should have an example for each point, yeah. So here we're seeing... Curse of knowledge... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be stereotypical here and paint every scientist with a broad brush, but we're seeing... We do like to be very generic. <laughs> <laughs> we're seeing typical scientist, which is yeah. scientists, when giving presentations, like to demonstrate all that they know in this particular topic, which is great, especially when speaking to your peers. But being that we don't know who the audience is and being that, you know, there needs to be some good audience awareness. What do people currently know, think and do? What do they currently understand about the topic? Mm. And again, I'm going to lean to stories. Again, we've had potentially this list of three ways the brain can change. Embed that in some sort of story. Embed that in some sort of example. And that first one was about chemical, about chemical. short-term learning. Um, and that's literally all I remember. Like it was a minute ago and that's all I remember is something about chemical. Yeah, so maybe this is a prime opportunity to use some sort of animation or PowerPoint. Maybe it's a prime opportunity to use an example. Because brain science is about our brains, your brain, my brain, everybody's, make it about our brain, which is when you hear a new piece of information, a new fact, this is what happens in your brain. And that facilitates these things happening. Just embed it in a little bit of story. Obviously, it's not going to be a you know, full-blown story. Just moves us away from, like you said, Kate, this curse of knowledge and just being overwhelmed mm. with effectively lists and data dumping. Mm. I think you may have been almost incorrect in saying like she's trying to give everything that she knows i guarantee this is probably oh yeah <laughs> like the most minute percentage of yeah, what yeah, she yeah. actually knows yes but it's still just it's still just a lot and yeah. we're only a few minutes in like if this was the entire thing sure i could probably go away and think about it but we are still only three minutes into 14 it's it's the same reason we're doing a podcast over many many episodes because if we dumped everything we know about speaking into one episode especially if it was 14 minutes long, how dense would that be? Mm. All right. Yeah. Okay, let's see if we hear point number three. And let me give you an example of how. So we've all tried to learn a new motor skill, maybe playing the piano, maybe learning to juggle. And you've had the experience of getting better and better within a single session of practice and thinking, I've got it. And then maybe you've returned the next day and all those improvements from the day before, they're lost. What happened? Well, in the short term, your brain was able to increase the chemical signaling between your neurons. There it is. Yeah. That little bit of almost story, but certainly making it about me. Hey, I have tried to learn a skill, thought I nailed it, and then the next day, did I forget everything I know? Yeah. Relatable. So much. More memorable. 
your brain was able to increase the chemical signaling between your neurons. But for some reason, those changes did not induce the structural change that are necessary to support long-term memory. Remember that long-term memories take time, and what you see in the short term does not reflect learning. It's these physical changes that are now going to support long-term memories and chemical changes that support short-term memories. Structural changes also can lead to integrated networks of brain regions that function together to support learning. And they can also lead to certain brain regions that are important for very specific behaviors to change their structure or to enlarge. And so here's some examples of that. So people who read Braille, they have larger hand sensory areas in their brain than those of us who don't. Kate, I'm lost. I, I don't know if this is point number three or the fourth example on point number two. Mm, yeah, it's confusing. Uh, I, again... <laughs> Again, I want to say maybe some visuals, just literally some like title slides. Just help or, me follow. Yeah, just one, two, three. Or signposting it. The first thing is, the second thing is, the third thing is. And then you talk about it and give the example or give the example and make the point. Just some sort of clear signposted structure. They have larger hand sensory areas in their brain than those of us who don't. Your dominant hand motor region, which is on the left side of your brain, if you're right-handed, is larger than the other side. And research shows that London taxicab drivers who actually have to memorize a map of London to get their taxicab license, they have larger brain regions devoted to spatial or mapping memories. Now, the last way that your brain can change to support learning is by altering its function. I know what she should have done, I think. She's used the example of London cab drivers who have to memorise London. Yep. She should have started with that. Yep. Like, have you ever tried to memorise somewhere that you go or something? Mm. And then the next time you try and go there, you've forgotten. Like, to me, that's very relatable. <laughs> We've <laughs> um, heard about your San Francisco trip. <laughs> yeah. So I would have liked that example to be in contrast to the London cab drivers which shows that kind of difference and it's a bit more mm. of a following story, whereas we've got juggling and the piano. piano and London cab drivers and Braille. There's so many examples all, all within, going on. Yeah, really you need to pick one. Which one demonstrates your point the best? Mm, like they're all good examples Yeah, I'll believe, they're all great skills. Yeah, and I'll believe you with one example. Mm. One good, relatable example, it's all you need. Yeah. But on the upside, we're about to hear point number three, so I have caught up on the, where we are in the structure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And, but, but that's a good point as well. Like sometimes just signposting it verbally, saying the second thing is, then you launch into an example and a story and a point. People can get lost. You tune out that little bit sometimes, right? So what uh, would you do visually here to signpost? Literally just a title slide. It might be, it could be as simple as a dark background with the numbers one, two, three down the side. And as she talks about each point, number one was chemical. Number two was uh, structure. We're about to hear what number three is and that word would animate in. Just something super simple so that if somebody is sitting in the audience and slightly tunes out or gets lost, they can look up and just go, ah, this is point number two. We're still on two. Yeah. Okay, mm. cool. Now, the last way that your brain can change to support learning is by altering its function. As you use a brain region, it becomes more and more excitable and easy to use again. And as your brain has these areas that increase their excitability, the brain shifts how and when they're activated. With learning, we see that whole networks of brain activity are shifting and changing. So neuroplasticity is supported by chemical, by structural, and by functional changes. 
And these are happening across the whole brain. There it was. There was the list. One, two, three. Chemical, structural, functional. Would have liked to even maybe hear those at the start so we knew what was coming. Mm. I have a question. We're six minutes in now to a 14-minute speech. Do you have any idea what her message might be? No, and I don't care because she's still talking about me, like my brain. Mm. So I am interested. Okay. So even if I don't have a message, an actionable message, I'm still learning something and that doesn't bother me. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. And these are happening across the whole brain. They can occur in isolation from one another, but most often they take place in concert. Together they support learning and they're taking place all the time. So I've just told you really how awesomely neuroplastic your brain is. So why can't you learn anything you choose to with ease? Why do our kids sometimes fail in school? Why as we age do we tend to forget things? And why don't people fully recover from brain damage? That is, what is it that limits and facilitates neuroplasticity? And so this is what I study. I study it specifically how it relates to recovery from stroke. I feel like here, six and a half minutes in, we've found properly the relatability of what she's talking about. It almost feels like it was a six-minute introduction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm okay with it. Like, I'm properly interested. I'm certainly interested now. She talks about, you know, why can't you learn your kids fail um, recovery from injury? Yeah. Like, we've hated on her a bit, but I'm really interested too. Yeah. There's nothing here that's making me click to a different speech, I think. I'm, mm. I'm interested. There is always something super enjoyable about listening to an expert talk about what they know. Mm. Like, it's just, it's always fascinating. Even if maybe there's been a bit too much information and we've... <laughs> it's not as bad as some that we've seen. <laughs> I do watch a lot of TED Talks. Yeah. Specifically how it relates to recovery from stroke. So recently, stroke dropped from being the third leading cause of death in the United States to be the fourth leading cause of death. Great news, right? Well, it actually turns out that the numbers of people having a stroke has not declined. We're just better at keeping people alive after a severe stroke. It turns out to be very difficult to help the brain recover from stroke. And frankly, we have failed to develop effective rehabilitation interventions. The net result of this is that stroke is the leading cause of long-term disability in adults in the world. Individuals with stroke are younger and tending to live longer with that disability. And research from my group actually shows that the health-related quality of life of Canadians with stroke has declined. So clearly, we need to be better at helping people recover from stroke. And this is an enormous societal problem, and it's one that we're not solving. So what can be done? I almost feel like, as of about a minute ago, that that could have been the start of this talk, where we start talking about those relatable couple of questions, why do you struggle to learn, um, kids fail school, and these things. Now we're talking about recovery from stroke. I feel like, ah, we're, we're really hitting her wheelhouse. She's really catching her stride now about what it is she actually does, and all that stuff about the three ways the brain learns Unless that all comes together later in the speech, I'm not sure that that was needed. Oh, it was pretty early, hey? Yeah. Too early, maybe. Well, let's see. So what can be done? One thing is absolutely clear. The best driver of neuroplastic change in your brain is your behavior. 
The problem is that the dose of behavior, the dose of practice that's required to learn new and relearn old motor skills, it's very large. And how to effectively deliver these large doses of practice is a very difficult problem. It's also a very expensive problem. So the approach that my research has taken is to develop therapies that prime or that prepare the brain to learn. And these have included brain stimulation, exercise, and robotics. But through my research, I've realized that a major limitation to the development of therapies that speed recovery from stroke is that patterns of neuroplasticity are highly variable from person to person. Now, as a researcher, variability used to drive me crazy. It makes it very difficult to use statistics to test your data and your ideas. And because of this, medical intervention studies are specifically designed to minimize variability. But in my research, it's becoming really clear that the most important, the most informative data that we collect is showing this variability. So by studying the brain after stroke, we've learned a lot. And I think these lessons are very valuable in other areas. So the first lesson is that the primary driver of change in your brain is your behavior. So there's no neuroplasticity drug you can take. Nothing is more effective than practice at helping you learn. And the bottom line is, you have to do the work. And in fact, my research has shown that increased difficulty, increased struggle, if you will, during practice, actually leads to both more learning and greater structural change in the brain. The problem here is, is that neuroplasticity can work both ways. It can be positive, you learn something new, and you refine a motor skill. I find myself trying to connect the dots here, which mm. is, which was, you have to do the work for your neuroplasticity, which then changes the structure of your brain. I'm casting my mind back to think structure of the brain was to do with long-term. So there must be a connection between long-term memory is what facilitates learning a new skill, and that's what we have to learn on. I'm connecting all of these dots, and I'm not sure that it's sort of explicitly being handed to me what all of these little uh, nuggets of information actually mean as a sort of continuous knowledge and understanding. And again, I think we're missing a little bit of that story, a little bit of that mm. kind of, basically what you said, like that nice, neat package for the information to all come in. I feel like she's almost spending too much energy on trying to prove her credibility with her research and all of that, whereas... I trust that she's the PhD in this. She is the expert. She's kind yeah. of already set that up. Yes. And I'm probably quite willing to accept most of what she says based on the credibility that she's already established. Yes, yes. Yeah, I don't need to hear the research about the research over and over. You know what it is? It's tell people the time, not how you made the watch. Yeah. It's tell me what you know, tell me what you found out, tell me what the learning is. I don't really mind about where your data started and the trends and the outliers just what was the result because like you said we acknowledge and believe your credibility yeah. and it leads me to you talked about the package i think that's it i think the information and the ideas are all here it's just not quite packaged in a neat way mm. you learn something new and you refine a motor skill it also can be negative though you forgot something you once knew you become addicted to drugs Maybe you have chronic pain. So your brain is tremendously plastic, and it's being shaped both structurally and functionally by everything you do. 
but also by everything that you don't do. The second lesson we've learned about the brain is that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to learning. So there's no recipe for learning. Consider the popular belief that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to learn and to master a new motor skill. Now, I can assure you, it is not quite that simple. For some of us, it's going to take a lot more practice, and for others, it may take far less. So the shaping of our plastic brains, is, it's far too unique for there to be any single intervention that's going to work for all of us. And now this realization has forced us to consider something called personalized medicine. What was that? This realization have forced us to... Did I hear that wrong? Yeah, her articulation is not amazing. There's yeah. been a, quite a few words that she stumbled over. Mm. Yeah, listening to this, we have looked at each other a few times when it's... Did she say that right? Have I missed yeah. that? And now this realization has forced us to consider something called personalized medicine. So this is the idea that to optimize outcomes, each individual requires their own intervention. And the idea actually comes from cancer treatments. And here it turns out that genetics are very important in matching certain types of chemotherapy with specific forms of cancer. My research is showing that this also applies to recovery from stroke. So there are certain characteristics of brain structure and function that we call biomarkers. And these biomarkers are proving to be very helpful in helping us to match specific therapies with individual patients. And the data from my lab suggests it's a combination of biomarkers that best predicts neuroplastic change and patterns of recovery after stroke. And that's not surprising, given how complicated the human brain is. But I also think we can consider this concept much more broadly. Given the unique structure and function of each of our brains, what we've learned about neuroplasticity after stroke applies to everyone. Behaviors that you employ in your everyday life are important. Each of them is changing your brain. And I believe we have to consider not just personalized medicine, but personalized learning. The uniqueness of your brain will affect you, both as a learner and also as a teacher. And now this idea helps us to understand why some children can thrive in traditional education settings and, and others don't. Why some of us can learn languages easily, and yet others can pick up any sport and excel. So when you leave this room today, your brain will not be the same as when you entered this morning. And I think that's pretty amazing. But each of you is going to have changed your brain differently. Understanding these differences, these individual patterns, this variability and change, it's going to enable the next great advance in neuroscience. It's going to allow us to develop new and more effective interventions and allow for matches between learners and teachers and patients and interventions. All right, hold up, hold up. She said my brain isn't going to be the same as when I walked in this morning. Why exactly? Because it's a day of learning, of like listening yeah. to speeches and learning. Yeah, I mean, I can make that connection, but... Again, it snaps me out of the talk to think about, like, oh, what is it she has been saying? Like, and maybe, maybe the fix is, you know, you, you, your brain will be different walking out than it was walking in because of these reasons that we've talked about. Mm. Again, again, it's like I'm, I'm just lost connecting those couple of dots. Yeah, there's a lot of manual connection there that you have to do. You're asking your audience to do a lot of work here. It's not easy to listen to and to understand. Mm. 
and patience and interventions. And this does not just apply to recovery from stroke. It applies to each of us as a parent, as a teacher, as a manager, and also, because you're at TEDx today, a lifelong learner. Study how and what you learn best. Repeat those behaviors that are healthy for your brain and break those behaviors and habits that are not. Practice. Learning is about doing the work that your brain requires. So the best strategies are going to vary between individuals. You know what? They're even going to vary within individuals. So for you, learning music may come very easily, but learning to snowboard, much harder. I hope that you leave today with a new appreciation of how magnificent your brain is. You and your plastic brain are constantly being shaped by the world around you. Understand that everything you do, everything you encounter, and everything you experience is changing your brain. And that can be for better, but it can also be for worse. So when you leave today, go out and build the brain you want. Thank you very much. Holy moly. Okay, how exactly do I build the brain that I want? Because oh. everyone's different and I don't know how to learn for me and it's different for me and I'm confused. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. I'm confused. I'm almost stressed because I don't know how to change my brain to make me learn better because everyone's different. She never went into how. I mean, don't get me wrong. That was a demonstration of how much she knows. Yeah. Which... Like you said, curse of knowledge, and maybe this is, like I said, the the typical scientist thing, where normally scientists are rewarded for having all of the information there because they're presenting to peers and to people who are critical, and they need to show all of their methods and everything they found out, which is so different to presentations where you're rewarded for having basically less information. Simplicity. Yeah, one one message and, you know, one idea per per section of that talk. There was way, way too much content in that. There was like an hour-long keynote pushed into... 14 minutes. Mm. All right, let's start with... <laughs> what was the message you got out of that, Kate? Okay. The message is, I think, um, you can change your brain after childhood, puberty, whatever. Oh, yeah. Which is in contrast to probably common belief. Yeah, she said that right at the start, that we think we can't change the brain after childhood. The message I got was a line she used in there, which is, everything you experience changes your brain. Okay. Which, you know how I picture this? You, you go and you watch this talk, and then the conference breaks for lunch. And you and your mate stand around having a chat over lunch, like, oh, what did you get out of Lara's talk? And... You know, you got that, and I'll be like, I got this out of it, and somebody else got something different. You you sort of go, isn't that fascinating? We all got something slightly different. And and all of those things are just, they're just a fun fact that you can change your brain, or that everything changes your brain. There's, There's no nothing action. action. There's no action here. Yeah, it's just, it was just information without sort of inspirational action. Mm. I mean, that message, I mean, both those messages, I think, were in there somewhere, but mm. not super clear. Yeah. So then, what did we see? Two really big things to note. There was not a lot of stage use at all. There was no PowerPoint or visuals at all. And her gestures were quite limited. And I was wondering why that was. She There's there a lot of distracting things that she didn't do. Like she never touched her face. She wasn't pacing. She was pretty comfortable, really. Mm. I did notice a lot of her gestures were one-handed. 
because in her other hand, in her right hand, she had some notes that were like palm card size. Uh, no, she didn't. She had a clicker. She had like a PowerPoint clicker because there was one shot where you actually saw the teleprompter in front of her and she had her script in front of her. I oh. think that's why she didn't move and what she was doing with her hand. All right, I missed seeing the teleprompter, but that explains it. And it was just full of text. So she's just, I think, reading. I mean, Could if, be she, wrong. if she was reading, she was doing a pretty good job of reading and sounding conversational. Hmm. But that arm at the whole time was just bent at 90 degrees holding the clicker or what yep. I thought looked like palm cards. I want to talk about her hair. Yeah. As a woman with a fringe, I know that I can't wear that on stage because as soon as you've got a downlight, that casts a shadow over your entire face. And this is exactly what happened here. She's got like a side fringe and her face, her entire left side of her face is completely covered in dark shadow because the lights are coming from above. Yeah, she has lovely hair, but with the lighting arrangement in that room, you just cannot see her left eye at all, which is mm, a bit... Distracting. Yeah, I spent a, you know, a bit of time looking at it, wondering, and that's that's distracting from, you know, what it is that she's trying to share with the audience. Do you know what? I really wanted to like this. I really wanted to because it started really interesting for me, and I, I am still really interested in this topic. It just wasn't packaged the greatest way for me. Yeah, absolutely. It is a good presentation. Obviously, we've we've pulled out every fault that we could find in it. Um, but I can see the awesome presentation in it. I can see how this would be improved. And I think it, it can be really hard to overcome cursive knowledge. It can be really hard for people who are like scientists and researchers to strip out the extra information that just doesn't matter today. Uh, and it, it can be really hard, basically, just to overcome that cursive knowledge and how my audience knows somewhere near nothing about this topic. And I am... A PhD, maybe a world leader in this topic. That can be really difficult. And, and it would probably take a lot of work to get that presentation congruent with those two parties. There's a huge gap there, huge mm. gap between her knowledge and standard yeah. knowledge. Yeah. And I think we just saw an example of, as well of how adding in a little bit of story, a little bit of pathos in there would have made quite a big difference, I believe. Yeah. So that was Lara Boyd at TEDx Vancouver in 2015. I think it's worth saying, interesting topic, pretty good presentation, but a lot of opportunity for us to learn from uh, what she did there. Yeah. Sorry, Lara. We keep seeing and hearing again and again that speech breakdowns are people's favourite format of this podcast. So if you do love it, remember to click subscribe. If you're new to podcasts, subscribing is completely free. It just brings it up in your podcast player every week when we bring out these episodes. So until next week. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know more, check out presentationboss.com.au slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes for today with links to everything we've discussed. If you have a speech you'd like us to listen to and break down on the show, flick us the link at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your thoughts or take suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information of this podcast if you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week. Maybe playing the piano. Maybe learning to juggle. And you've had the experience. Have you ever tried to learn to juggle? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I can juggle. I don't believe it. I can. <laughs> I'll show you.